Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Energy decisions have a big impact on our environment. Our current president, Donald Trump, is on a roll when it comes to executive orders and new regulations that apply to energy and the environment. Unfortunately, almost all of these executive orders and regulation changes are bad for the environment, even though some of these changes give us more energy options like more oil, more coal, and more nuclear, almost all are going to result in more expensive energy and less reliable energy. And we'll kind of go through these things in, in during our show today. Now, I just kind of looked back over the last nine or ten months and, and <laughs> tallied up seven of Trump's energy actions that are terrible for our environment. They're absolutely hideous. There's one for every day of the week. Just kind of stepping through what he's been doing over the last nine or ten months, and it's just not good for our environment. And it's not helping our energy situation long-term at all. One, he's killing the clean power plant. Number two, he's changing utility pricing to favor coal and nuclear. Number three, he's providing huge loan guarantees to new nuclear plants. You know, he's picking winners and losers, um, and, and nuclear is a loser. He's relaxing the vehicle mileage standards that have already resulted in more efficient vehicles. He's opening up federal lands to fossil fuels. He's approved the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone Oil Pipeline, and he's having the country exit the Paris Climate Agreement. And none of these things are, are good for the environment, and, and only one or two are going to result in slightly lower energy prices. Let's take a look at the U.S. total greenhouse gas emissions by the economic sector. It's just kind of interesting to see where we're getting all this CO2 that's bad for the environment. The biggest sector is electricity generation. So 29% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, mostly CO2, come from generating electricity mostly from coal plants, a little bit from natural gas plants. Second biggest emission se sector is transportation, mostly gas and, and diesel. Tw that's 27%, just a little bit behind electricity. The third biggest category is industrial, and that's just everything. It's 21%. Only 12% of the greenhouse gas emissions come from the residential and commercial uh, sector. That's mostly heating and, and air conditioning. And 9% comes from agriculture. Okay, so that's kind of where the breakdown is, and, and you know, really it's, it's uh, power generation, transportation, and industry. All right, let's go take a look at some of these uh, items that I talked about. Killing the Clean Power Plan. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is moving to revoke the rules that basically make up the Clean Power Plan. Now, the Clean Power Plan was something that Obama put in place. It was focusing on CO2 pollution from coal-fired power plant smokestacks. I mean, coal's a really dirty fuel. It's got a lot of carbon in it. Therefore, you get a lot of um, emissions of carbon dioxide and some other bad stuff, but it's CO2 that's the worst. And and we, as we talked about it, power plants are the biggest consumers of coal, and therefore they're the biggest sources. The biggest single source of, of greenhouse gas, CO2, is coming from power plants. And Trump campaigned on a promise to kill the clean power plant, and, and indeed he's kind of doing everything he can to meet his promise. His EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, it, recently signed the paperwork to withdraw all of the rules that make up the clean power plan. Now, even before these rules were, were put in place by Obama, the U.S. electric industry has been shifting away from coal and towards natural gas and renewables. It's a fascinating pro progress. The reason is that natural gas has gotten really cheap. So over the last 10 years, utilities have been putting in natural gas power plants rather than coal power plants because it's cheaper. It, yes, it's cleaner. That's a nice advantage, but it's just way cheaper. 
So um, the, the Clean Power Plan rules were estimated by the EPA to reduce the U.S.'s carbon emissions 32% below the t- 2005 levels by 2030. So we're already halfway to that goal. That's great. Um, the problem is that, that the Clean Power Plan is, is really helpful to reduce CO2 emissions, and, and we're just kind of walking away from it. Now, who does this benefit? There's only one industry that benefits. That's the coal industry. Utilities are just happy to use natural gas. I mean, coal miners are finding more jobs. That's good, but it's helping the coal industry. Nobody else. The natural gas industry is in favor of the clean power plant, but not the coal industry. And who does this hurt? Who does getting out of the clean power plant hurt? Basically, everybody who breathes. All right. Let's look at the next one. Changing utility pricing to favor coal and nuclear. We talked about this on a recent show. Energy Secretary Rick Perry issued directives last month in in September that give an economic advantage to power plants that keep large supplies of fuel on site. Now, it sounds conceptual. You know, this is good for all power plants. Well, the reality is that only coal... And nuclear plants keep their fuel on site. There's a few oil plants left over. They might have some tanks there, but it's coal. They have huge piles of coal, and nuclear plants have fuel that, you know, once those charges, once they charge up those reactors, are good for 5, 10, 20 years. The fuel for wind plants and solar plants, the cleanest, cheapest sources of energy, that comes from a power source that's 93 million miles away. Um, so basically, this um, action by uh, Secretary Rick Perry is going to allow utilities to charge more money for coal and nuclear electricity. And that's basically how this rule is structured. It goes against the economics that have been driving deregulated energy over the past, you know, heck, 10, 20 years. Um, It's going to basically say to utilities, you have to charge more money for coal and nuclear. That way that you're going to be using more coal and nuclear power. It's going to improve the economics of coal and nuclear for utilities. Basically, those are the only two industry segments that use coal and nuclear power. Now, coal is the country's still most abundant power plant fuel, but we're changing over very, very quickly to natural gas and um, and wind and solar is catching up really, really fast. And utilities prefer, prefer these energy sources because they're way cleaner and they're cheaper. That's the key fact. Utilities are just shutting down their coal plants. They're not planning on any new coal plants because, heck, three years from now, we might have new regulations that undo these clean power plan regulations that are canceling the plan. So the clean power plan or something like it might go back into effect. So utilities are loathe to plan for a new coal plant. It's not going to happen. Um, it's also simply because coal is more expensive. Now, the other thing is, the, uh, DOE Secretary Perry claims that coal and nuclear plants are more resilient. Well, indeed, these plants aren't going to be, you know, knocked out in in uh, you know disasters. Usually, they're 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 very very solid. But there's no place for them to generate to, to send the power. The transmission and the distribution lines are wiped out. So you look at all the recent disasters we've had: hurricanes in Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, fires in in California. The power plants were still running. Um, but they actually shut some of these power plants down because there was no place for them to send their power. All the power lines were out. Um, so we're, we're going to see what happens. But these changes to utility pricing favoring coal and nuclear are only going to benefit the coal and nuclear industries. That's it. Ironically, the oil industry, the gas industry, all the renewable industries are against these new rules. And who is it going to hurt? Once again, it's going to hurt everybody who breathes and everyone who buys power from utilities because the power prices are going to go up. We don't want to see that those go up any more than they already are. Plus, we're going to end up with an even less reliable grid than what we're able to achieve with natural gas, and especially with a distributed grid with with wind and solar and battery storage. Okay, uh, 
The next, the next one, loan guarantees for new nuclear plants. Um, the Trump administration is going to issue $3.7 billion of loan guarantees for the two Vokley nuclear plants that are still under construction in Georgia. Now, these are still these are the only two nuclear power plants that are still under construction in the United States. Basically, all the other power plants were canceled, and there's reasons for that because, um, first of all, it's, it's a fortune to build these plants. It takes forever, tremendous overruns, and second, the big factor is it's turning out that. When you look at the total economics, generating electricity from nuclear power is way more expensive than natural gas. I mean, the plants take forever to build, 20 years, 10, 20 years. Um, there, there's um, waste that has to be dealt with, and the plants cost billions and billions of dollars to decommission. I just look at kind of the decommissioning cost alone for these plants. It's more than building up a, building a brand new natural gas plant. So you might as well build a brand new natural gas plant. All right, so these loan guarantees... We're going to go to the Southern Company, which is a big Southeast um, utility, I think the biggest the biggest utility in the Southeast. Um, and they already have $8.3 billion of loan guarantees from the Department of Energy. So we're looking at over $11 billion for a loser power plant in, in the Southeast. Um, this plant started construction almost 10 years ago, and the plan was it was going to be $14 billion to build it. Now it's not supposed to be done until 2022. It's going to cost $25 billion. And... Obviously, um, there's going to be even more increases. This nuclear plant has no chance of being a winner. It's just a bailout for the Southern Company and nuclear power in general. Now, unfortunately, Westinghouse, the electric corporation, they went bankrupt. So who is this going to help? This is only going to help the Southern Company, one of the biggest utilities in the U.S. It's going to help the nuclear industry. It's going to hurt all Georgia ratepayers. Everybody buys electricity in Georgia because their electricity is going to go up even more. And it's going to hurt taxpayers because they're going to get stuck with this bill when they default on that that loan, $11 billion. They're going to very likely default. Okay, next policy that's being changed by the Trump administration. He's relaxing the vehicle mileage standards. Now, these standards have kind of waxed and waned over the past 30, 30, 40 years or so. Typically, when a Democratic administration is in place, they put new mileage standards in place. And typically, when a Republican administration goes into place, they usually relax the standards. So Trump is pretty much doing the same thing that, that most Republican presidents have done over the past 20 or 30 years. The current mileage standards are going to raise the average corporate average fuel economy to about 50 miles per gallon for sold, for cars that are sold in 2022 to 2025. That takes a while for this thing to go up, but that's pretty good. I think we're down probably closer to the low 40s. Now, with, um, with Scott Pruitt, Trump's head of the EPA, wants to roll back these requirements. Yeah, kind of no big surprise. Now, the previous EPA chief, Gina McCarthy, affirmed that these aggressive mileage standards are feasible. It's not like these are impossible to achieve. Not every car is going to get 50 MPG. Little ones will get 60. Bigger ones may get, may get less. Moving towards hybrids makes a huge difference. Now, obviously, automakers want to relax these requirements because it reduces the cost of the cars. And um, yeah, that's basically it. It doesn't reduce the operating cost because these cars are going to use more gas. But the cars are cheaper to build because they don't need as many emission control requirements. They don't have to be built as carefully. Um, they, they basically can use heavier metal, less expensive metal, um, less fancy electronics and control systems. So they emit more. Um, but here's the irony. The Clean Air Act 
includes an exception for the state of California to set its own mileage standards. These mileage standards went in place probably, I think, in the 60s when there was so much pollution in California. And California said, hey, we got to do something so we can you know, see out the window in, in the Los Angeles basis. And that's to um, set mileage standards that reduce the emissions. Now, the thi- so the thing is, any changes to these mileage standards aren't going to affect California because California is still going to maintain those tight standards. Um, California is the biggest single auto market in the country. The other thing is, 11 other states follow California's requirements. So automakers are going to need to continue to produce cars for two different U.S. standards. There's going to be California and the other 11 states. Offhand, I don't know who they are. but And, and then basically all the other states. So automakers are going to have to basically make these efficient cars anyway. All right, who does this change in the rules help? Well, the, the change in the rules really only helps automakers. It helps gasoline suppliers because they're going to sell more gasoline. Um, it's going to make the cost of cars a little bit less expensive, so people who are looking at buying a new car are going to save um, save a little bit of money. But over the lifespan of the car, they're going to end up spending more because those cars are going to use more gasoline. Who does it hurt? Once again, this is going to hurt everybody who uses air to survive, everybody who breathes. And it's also going to hurt EV manufacturers because EV manufacturers have a way to, to cut that those emissions dramatically back. Okay, next. Next action by um, the, the Trump administration, they're opening up federal lands to fossil fuel extraction and mining. So this is being done through the Interior Department. What they want to do is boost the oil production, gas production, coal production by relaxing the regulations that govern the, the mining and extraction of fuel production. So there are um, new restrictions on leaks of methane gas from drilling wells and pipelines and other infrastructure. So one thing that the Interior Department wants to do is just relax these regulations. It's because when you're pumping um, oil and gas, there's you know there's wells in the ground and there's some, some um, methane, which isn't really that useful, that comes out. And they just, you know, they just, they don't even burn it off. They just uh, vent it into the atmosphere. Methane, I think, is even more, um, worse for the environment than carbon dioxide. It causes even more global warming. All right. Next thing is that they want to postpone and rewrite the rules that require drillers to publicly disclose the chemicals they use to frack wells on federal lands. Now, they, they, you know, this is being relaxed on federal lands. The rules will still apply to the extent that they do apply on private lands. But there's some special chemicals that go into these uh, fracking uh, mud and, and um, liquids that people don't know what they are. And they're being injected into the ground. Now, if, if these uh, chemicals went all the way, you know, miles down um, into the uh, oil and gas areas, then it's probably not going to bother. But on their way down in, into the oil and gas uh, segments of the, the, the ground, they're going through the aquifers where we get our water. And there are a lot of cases where these chemicals go th- get into the water supply. We don't want to have these chemicals in the water supply, especially since the um, the drilling companies don't tell us what those chemicals are. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's probably something pretty bad in some places. cases. It's got to be something bad. Otherwise, they'd say, heck, we're just using water. They wouldn't care, but there's some chemicals in there. All right. Next, they're going to stop the review of rules that would increase the royalties that coal companies pay to mine on federal land. So the way this works is coal companies have to pay a royalty. I don't know offhand what it is, but you know, every, for every ton of coal they extract from federal land, they have to pay the government something. Well, um, instead of increasing the amount of royalties and, and basically increasing 
the, um, the cost of mining coal on federal lands, which is what these rules were going to do, um, they're going to decrease the cost of mining. So basically, that's going to decrease the cost of coal mining. Yeah, it's good for coal miners. All right. Now, the other thing that's happening is uh, Interior Secretary Zink is recommending that, that the administration shrink the size of several national monuments in Utah, Oregon, and Nevada so that they can open these, mining, uh, these monuments up to drilling or mining. So, I, you know, so what happens is in these national monuments, you're not allowed to be doing certain kinds of drilling and mining. Well, if you eliminate the size of these monuments, if you say, hey, you know, it's not a, it's not 100,000 acres now, those 25,000 acres over there where we found oil, um, where we think there's oil, you can drill there. Um, that's, that's uh, you know, those are public lands are going to be reduced in size and there's going to be more pollution that's generated from that. All right. Um, the Interior Department is also changing the rules that open up oil mining or oil drilling in the in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So this is a this is a place up up in Alaska where there are rules that that restrict the way in which oil can be um, extracted in this in this ANWR. Basically, you can't you can't drill there. Well, they're going to open that up. One of the reasons why we don't want those those areas opened up is because. There's a lot of oil spills, and it kind of destroys the wildlife areas. All right. Now, so who's going to be helped by opening up all these federal lands to fossil fuels? Obviously, the fossil fuel companies, the, the coal companies, the oil companies, the natural gas companies. Who is it going to hurt? Once again, we're going to have more fossil fuels extracted. There's going to be more greenhouse gases that's going to um, be emitted. It's going to hurt everybody who breathes. And it's also going to hurt everybody who enjoys unspoiled national monuments and national parks. Because, you know, who wants to go hiking through a national monument? You see an oil rig sticking up there and, you know, the place stinks. All right. All right. Next. Next action by the Trump administration. Within days... Of taking office, Trump resurrected the Keystone Pipeline that had been um, uh, uh, stirring debate for years and years. So basically, within a few days, he approved the Keystone Oil Pipeline and he approved the approved the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, what happened is the Obama administration rejected the Keystone Pipeline in 2015 because it would be basically bad for the United States leadership in curbing the, our reliance on carbon energy. It would be a bad example for the rest of the world for us to be a Proving these pipelines that are basically there just to um, uh, move oil from one place to another or, or uh, oil sands from one place to another. Basically, it would just destroy our leadership position there. Um, we can't, as a country, say that we want to um, reduce the greenhouse gases if we just go gung-ho and start um, extracting even more of these fuels. Or... If we provide a pipeline through the U.S. If for these fuels that are extracted in Canada to be refined in the United States. So um, th- that's why Obama re- rejected that pipeline. And there's a, a similar pipeline. It's called the Dakota Access Pipeline. There was a section of this pipeline where it went um, through an Indian reservation. The, the Indian reservation, these Native Americans, they didn't want the pipeline going through the reservation. And they, they objected. And what ended up happening is, for environmental reasons, the Army delayed and sidetracked this Dakota Access Pipeline. Well, Trump said, the heck with it. We're putting that pipeline in. I'm going to override what the Army is saying. All right. Once again, who does this help? This helps oil companies, and this helps refiners. The, um, the Keystone Pipeline was basically there to move oils, uh, very, very heavy crude oil from Canada down to the United States. So it's going to really help Canadian companies and oil refiners. Um, but it's going to hurt everybody who's breathing our air because there's going to be more pollution. Okay, next. Um, this is kind of the coup de grace. Um, Obama's exiting the Paris Climate Agreement. The State Department notified the United Nations 
that the U.S. would pull out of this global agreement that took years to develop, a tremendous consensus among countries around the world, as soon as the United States could under the terms of this 2015 accord. Now, the President Trump said, we might agree to remain in the deal if it's changed to be better for U.S. interests. So this is kind of typical Trump negotiating, saying, I want to get out of this deal that we worked on because I want a better deal. You know, it may work for a real estate developer. That's not the way to, to work with friends around the world. Um, so uh, the, the State Department kicked off a filing that's going to begin this review process, this withdrawal process. It's going to take years to unfold. Um, probably the earliest that the United States can formally get out of this accord is in November of 2020, which would be like almost the end of the Trump administration, just before the next president takes office in 2021. So Trump can get out of this, and uh, it's, it's just not going to be good for the, uh, um, the, the whole world. Um, now, commentary from the world leaders, including those in France, Germany, and Italy, basically said, this is an irreversible agreement. Their quote was, we firmly believe that the Paris Agreement cannot be renegotiated since it is a vital instrument for our planet, our societies, and economies. Um, Trump doesn't agree. Okay. Kind of taking a step back. It's not easy being president. Not that I know, not that I, not that I really care, but it's a, that's a hard job. The thing is, Trump has a penchant for blowing things up. Um, he's decimating the clean air regulations at the Environmental Protection Agency. He's instructing the Interior Department, whose one of the goals is to protect our federal lands, to open up drilling and mining on these lands. And he's telling the Department of Energy to prop up struggling coal and nuclear companies. That's old-fashioned energy, not new energy. So Trump is kind of blowing these things up. And when I look at him in aggregate, all these actions, and I just pick seven, I'm appalled. Um, Trump's administration is putting a full-core press in place to obliterate regulations and laws that protect our environment. And these regulations and laws also help us get clean energy. The only beneficiaries in general, are fossil energy companies. It's not really helping consumers. Yes, we might get a little bit cheaper gas, but uh, overall, we're not getting the clean energy. We're not going to get cheap electricity from wind and solar and other sources. It's only going to have a very minor impact on energy costs. Um, You know, what's worse, it's going to set clean energy back a dozen years. So what can you do now as a business, as a consumer? Well, there are a few things you can do. Um, One, take advantage of the currently available policies that are good for clean energy. There are a few out there, particularly the few that make sense. Solar panels are still, I mean, we're talking about October 2017, still relatively cheap, although I think they're going to go up because I'm sure they're going to go up. They've already gone up because of the tariffs that are going to be imposed by Trump. So this, you know, buckle up. We've done shows on this. Solar panel prices have already gone up by about 40%. Uh, because of these tariffs that are coming up. And Trump is going to, without a doubt, he's going to put very big tariffs on place on imported panels because Trump wants to build U.S. manufacturing, A, um, but he really wants to uh, support his uh, fossil fuel buddies. All right, second thing you can do is take advantage of the 30% investment tax credit that's still in place. Now, that tax credit's supposed to be in place to 2021, but you know what? I wouldn't be surprised at all if Trump is going to try and eliminate that tax credit. Um it's just that's just uh, kind of his his policy. All right, that's all the time we have on this week's energy show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcast. 